0: the more obsessed you are over the minor details and the more you isolate yourself from other groups, the harder it's gonna be to get along with anyone, even people within your own broader tradition. That's why there are 80 different subgroups of Amish and they fight over things like whether or not buttons can have colors, right? So it is imperative that we spend time hanging around people who don't agree with us anymore so that we don't go crazy because we have a known
1: Welcome to the Not Ashamed Podcast, where we are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We are here to help you rebuild your theology in light of God's grace, love, and the true meaning of holiness. The topic for this month is What is Christian Unity? As our guest, we are honored to have Luke Beats, who is a Holiness Pentecostal minister. We'll be discussing our differing perspectives with Nathan Mayo, representing Berean Holiness and the Not Ashamed Podcast. Hello, and welcome. Thanks for listening to this conversation today on Christian Unity. Today we have my brother, Nathan Mayo, and our guest, Luke Beats. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and let them introduce themselves. Um, Nathan, we'll start with you. Tell us a little bit about what you do as well as what religious background you're coming from.
0: Yeah, so uh, I guess I'll just integrate both of those into a seamless story. So I grew up uh, independent Pentecostal holiness in North Alabama with Natalie. There were some good things from that upbringing, but I think some some kind of baggage as well. And so I went off. I joined the army. Uh, went to West Point. Got a degree in economics. Was in the army for a total of nine years. Then uh, my wife and I were missionaries to Haiti for a couple of years. And now I work for a nonprofit in Joplin, Missouri, as an operations director. We help uh, churches and nonprofits improve their charitable programs, make them more kind of hand-up oriented rather than hand-out oriented. That's what I do now. Um, The church that I would affiliate with now, I've been in a lot of different churches over the years as I've lived in different states and different countries, but um, currently I attend a non-denominational church with kind of a maybe a little Southern Baptist uh, kind of flavor to it. And I teach Sunday school, continue to serve on the board of the organization in Haiti and help Natalie, out with Brian Holiness, some of the writing we do on some of the issues that affect the various subgroups that we work with.
1: Perfect. Thanks so much. Um, now, we, I'll, Luke, I'll go ahead and have you <laughs> introduce yourself.
2: Hello. My name is Luke Beats, and um, I, I grew up in a Pentecostal uh, church, Assembly of God church in East Texas, and though I grew up Assembly of God, I'm not AG. I have my papers with uh, Bible Holiness Fellowship out of Russellville, Arkansas. It would be an independent holiness uh, Pentecostal fellowship, not denomination, I guess. It's a kind of a weird thing. But anyway, um, I and my family are college campus ministers. We travel to, the different, to different states. I think Last year, we were in 19 states. I'm sorry, 11 states, 19 campuses, spend about a week on each campus, preach the gospel, um, tell people uh, the hope of the gospel. We give out Bibles, gospel tracts, Markham and John, give them out. We like to use gospel tracts from Way of the Master. Uh, Basically, we like to tell people about Christ. That's what we've done for about the past year and a half. We're in our second year, and we love it, thankful for what God has given us to do.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. And I love your ministry, love the campus college ministry, really appreciate that you do that and and respect that. And you also have a podcast where you share about some of your experiences. What is that called?
2: Thank you. Um, it is Wake the Bride podcast. We try and do a weekly uh, podcast during the school year. Uh, it's a little difficult when we're traveling. But we try and do a weekly podcast where we will recap the week before try and show how we use apologetics. Also, we try and focus on Bible prophecy. I'm dispensational, uh, pre-tribulational, dispensational, with a little bit of other things thrown in there, but that's nothing to do with the conversation. So, um, yes, thank you for mentioning that. I appreciate that.
1: For sure. So let's go ahead and move into our first question today, which, and again, the topic is Christian unity. We're going to especially be talking about interdenominational unity. What what does that look like for believers to unite together, even though we come from different denominations and with some different secondary tertiary uh, doctrines, as well as different personal convictions? So our first question, Jesus prayed in John 17, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou father art in me and i in thee that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that thou hast sent me and the glory which thou gavest me i have given them that they may that they may be one even as we are one i and them and thou and me that they may be perfect in one and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and has loved them as thou hast loved me and that's john 17 20 through 23 So again and again in this passage, Jesus is emphasizing that they may be one, which is unity uh, for believers and not just for his disciples, because he says, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. So Jesus is specifically praying for the church today um, and praying that we would be unified. So and then another passage, John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also may love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. And so we also see um, that this is God is glorified uh, to unbelievers when the church is united and when the churches is one. So moving on to the question itself. In these passages, Jesus is praying for unity among believers and commanding them to love one another. Assuming that there are believers outside of our particular church fellowship or denomination, do you believe we have a biblical obligation to pursue unity with and show brotherly love to Christians outside of our church fellowship? And Luke, that goes to you first.
2: I believe biblically that we should show up to everyone. Um, we should show everyone as being created in the image of God uh, deserves. They they deserve dignity. They deserve to be shown not hatred, but love. One of my favorite statements that I want to make on the college campus that I try and make every day multiple times a day just a lot of repetition. repetition not reputation i'm preaching on a college campus but um one thing i say a whole lot is god looks at no one and says you are trash god looks at no one and says you're worthless we are all created in the image of god therefore we all all deserve dignity respect when we are dealing with people um that's in a general sense. So yes, in a general sense, we should show love to every human because we are made in the very image of God. When it comes to interdenominational fellowship or unity, really, I'm sure we would agree on, I would assume we would agree on this. Denomination really doesn't matter. Um, Denomination is simply a word. It's a name above a door. It tells people kind of what your group, in a sense, Probably not as much anymore um, because doctrine is in a lot of ways going out the window in a lot, and I'm not singling any group out. I'm just saying in general, doctrine is not the strongest suit, um, but it used to, the purpose was just tell people, Hey, this is what we believe. You knew what they believe by the denomination, but really denomination doesn't matter. What matters as to whether or not um, we can work together is going to be a, do they believe in salvation by grace through faith? Do they, And I may be getting ahead of the question. I'm trying to answer it, though. Um, Should I show love to every? uh, Yes, to everyone. Yes. Do I assume that everyone is a Christian that says they are? No, I can't do that. Um, It's going to come down to some doctrinal points. And I know I'm probably getting ahead right there. Um, But no, I mean, I'm sorry. Yes. We can, I can stand in a soup kitchen line with a Catholic man. I can stand in front of an abortion clinic with a Catholic man, um, with a moral center. I can do all of those things. Um, I think a lot of this comes down to what do you mean by pursue unity and, um, in what ways are we working together? Like what the situation, not situational ethics, but uh how far I can go in working with someone. I probably butchered that answer. But if I did, I apologize.
1: Yeah, that's that's good. We're going to flesh that out more. Um, Nathan, we'll go ahead and let you respond to that. And I'll just repeat the last part. Assuming that there are believers outside of our particular church fellowship, do you believe we have a biblical obligation to pursue unity with and show brotherly love to Christians outside of our church fellowship? So Nathan, you're welcome to respond to Luke to some extent and also give your own answer.
0: Yeah. Um, So I think I, I completely agree with everything I heard Luke say. There are essentials of the faith. Anybody with those essentials, and we can talk about what those are, um, we should be willing to have some level of unity with, treat them as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's absolutely true. And then there are other people that, um, you know, everybody of course deserves love and respect and that sort of thing. I think the challenge that um, that comes up is in part, it's about differentiating the degree to which we feel like our denomination or church affiliation, yeah, the word denomination, yeah, that's kind of loaded, but the group of churches that we identify with more than others as individuals. The question is, how much better do we think we are than others? (laughs) Um, And and for me, I have this basic assumption um, that let's say there are 10,000 doctrinal questions, right? On on all these tiny little things, right? Uh, I have a set of answers to those 10,000 questions myself. I'm sure Luke has one. Natalie, I'm sure you have one that's different than mine even, right? What are the odds that my answers are all right? Right. Um, incredibly low. <laughs> so I generally walk into uh, a conversation or sort of a doctrinal discussion with the idea that I have things I don't know, um, and now I believe the things I believe, sure, but I you know have a certain level of open mindedness, uh, fair mindedness, maybe a better word, and willingness to consider other ways of thinking about it. So yeah, I think at a theory level we're complete in complete agreement. And I'm not going to differentiate myself from Luke here, but I will differentiate myself from the churches that I personally grew up in, which I'm not saying that, you know, Luke's church affiliation is like this. But the ones I grew up in uh, would have also agreed in theory, but in practice, their uh, practice of unity was, was pretty minimal. So let me give you a compare and contrast in very practical and absolute terms. So I live in Joplin, Missouri metro area has a population of about 200,000 with some of the surrounding towns and so forth. Now, I found a list of churches in Joplin, Missouri. There are about 250 churches, something like that. And I looked through that list. And of that list, just based on the denomination and so forth, I would say about 90% of those I would personally be willing to do some joint ministry with. Like I would say they meet that basic standard of they are believers. Now, sure, some of them, there's Jehovah's Witness and Mormon on the list, and, and those are not believers. Gotcha. But so I would be willing to do ministry with about 90 percent of the people on that list. Now, personally, I know after only having lived in Joplin for about two and a half years, I know people from about 25 of those churches. So from about 10 percent of the churches in the metro area. And then the organization that I uh, partly work with, a Gospel Rescue Mission. They've worked with probably 100 to 150 churches on that list of 250. So willing to do ministry with 90 percent, have done some level personally with 10 percent. My organization has done ministry about 50 percent. That's a sense of magnitude of what I think, you know, reasonable unity looks like. Now, contrast that with my upbringing in the particular holiness churches we were in in North Alabama. Uh, In about 15 years of growing up there, I only knew about six churches in a much larger area than the Joplin metro area that we would do anything with. So six churches out of probably, say, 500 that were available to us. That's the only thing we would ever do any ministry with. We would ever have any joint meetings with, joint projects with, even acknowledge the existence of. There were only about six churches. Now, in theory, we would have said the same things about unity. In practice, uh, the magnitude of that was, was quite minimal. And I think that's problematic.
1: So. Yeah. Luke, do you have a, any response to that before we move on to the next question?
2: Let me do just a real quick response to that. I think that a lot of times whenever we're saying I uh, like joint ministry or going to the whatever you know other church, I think a lot of that depends on the setting. I was a youth pastor for 13 years. Um, there were a lot of things that I would go to, to check out and say, Hey, can I bring my youth to this? Um, because as a, as a youth pastor I was not a pastor, but as a youth pastor, my pastor, we him, talked about this and, you know, we agreed on the, uh, on the, uh, this aspect that um, it's my job to protect the people that I was shepherding as a youth pastor, my youth group, I was protecting them. So Before I would take them anywhere, I tried to go first, Uh, not because I didn't trust and maybe not even sometimes I would choose not to take them, not because I thought the people were doing anything overtly wrong. I just, it wasn't something that I would want some of my young people, maybe they struggled with things and I didn't want them to stumble. So I think sometimes we see and we think, hey, we're not fellowshipping with others. And maybe it's not so much because we disagree and say they're not saved but maybe we're just saying, you know what? That's not the best scenario. Now, just one more real quick thing. Uh, Whenever it comes to, like we had said, you know, as Nathan said, we all probably answer things a little bit differently. And um, I'm not throwing on his answer at all. Please don't hear me do that. But I do want to just make a slight distinction on something. Um, I would say that if I thought, if I thought, biblically that the Bible said I was wrong on the topic. I think we would all say this. If I thought I was wrong, then I would change. So by saying I believe something, unless I see biblically that it's not right, I think we'd all say this probably. I would hold really hard to it, which is why I said I wouldn't just go in assuming that people, just because they say they're saved, are saved. Even in some churches, there may be good people there, but i can't just assume anything i don't think that's safe especially for a leader
1: yeah thanks so we will go ahead and move on to the second question and hopefully we'll get to flesh some more of this out most churches and nathan this is going to go to you first
0: sure
1: most churches share similar goals for example being the hands and feet of christ in their local community showing the love of Christ in practical ways, sharing the gospel. Many communities have more than one local church. There could be a church of God, non-denominational church, a Baptist church, and a holiness church all down the road from each other. Practically speaking, is there any reason for local churches in a community to seek to work together? Is there anything, ministry or otherwise, that would be better accomplished by local churches collaborating rather than working independently of each other? Nathan?
0: Yeah. Well, I think Luke really set the answer up to this really well when he said you can't believe everybody's saved just because they say they're saved. Well, that's absolutely true. So how do we know people are saved? Well, Bible says by their fruit. Right. And specifically now there are a lot of fruits, fruits of the spirit and so forth. But one of the specific things that Jesus said was a fruit by which you knew people were his disciples was if they have love for one another. Right. So we're supposed to do good unto all men but especially to those who are of the household of faith. So that is the number one reason, um, I think, why we need to be actively showing unity and and cooperation. It's because Jesus told us this is how people would know we're his disciples. And specifically, that makes it both a command, but also a strategy. Jesus is giving us a strategy for ministry here, because the world is very dog-eat-dog. There's a lot of call it internecine warfare um, within political factions and everybody's tearing everybody down. You can see this in the Democratic Party, in the Republican Party, right? People attack each other that are supposed to be on the same side. They do it for all kinds of reasons. They do it for ego. They do it because they're just prideful and they're you know convinced that their way is so right that even if it's 90% the same as somebody else's, they still have nothing, you know no common cause. So cooperation is not the norm. It's an exception to the norm. But by choosing to cooperate, we differentiate ourselves. We say we are an exception to the norm. And even if I don't agree with everything that that church of God teaches or whatnot, we still have so much in common in Christ that we're going to find reasons to work together. Now, that's that's the, the first, I'd say, practical reason. It's just because it makes us stand out as disciples of Jesus. The second reason why... Uh, there's practical reason for churches and ministries to work together is that a lot of the tasks that we're called to do are just too complex. It's just too big for any single church body to do. It's easy to do handouts as a small congregation. It's easy to do kind of a uh, very low intensity ministry, but a lot of times people's situation calls for more than that. And we need to build, you know, a residential rehab facility or we need to build uh, a pregnancy resource center. And when you're building more relational ministries, You just need more energy. You need. Sometimes it's going to become a parachurch and there's going to be a 501c3 and the board and all that. That's fine. But churches have to get behind it. Sometimes it may just be a single church's primary project and other churches come alongside and support. But regardless, uh, if you have a church of 50 people or 350 people, you can't handle those kinds of projects uh, as a single church. So there is very practical reason to cooperate because that's the sort of ministry that Jesus called us to do. And the third reason is I think that um, once we kind of, you know, iron sharpens iron, as as the Bible said, and once we get around people who don't always see the world the same way we do, or don't always see the scriptures in all things in the same way as we do, it helps moderate us. So when I was in Germany, I attended a church that uh, was really the only English speaking church that was Bible believing and available for the American military. So we had folks from In a church of maybe 200 odd people, we had probably 20 or 30 denominational backgrounds represented. And men's Bible study was great because you would have people who had widely different beliefs on issues. And you'd have Calvinists and Pentecostals and Charismatics and all kinds of people who wouldn't normally be together in the same room discussing the scriptures together. You learn a lot from somebody when you're hearing a totally different uh, perception. And you also learn humility. And a lot of times the things that you believe about other people in other denominations, you find out, oh, well, that's not true. Uh, so I think it's really good from that perspective as well. We help moderate each other when we spend time with people who aren't exactly like us.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for that answer. Um, Luke, I will go ahead and re- repeat the last part of the question for you so you can give your answer. Practically speaking, Is there any reason for local churches in a community to seek to work together? Is there anything, ministry otherwise, that would be better accomplished by local churches collaborating rather than working independently?
2: I think there is. I meant to say this earlier, and so I'm going to throw it in right here. I appreciate, uh, Nathan, your service to our country, and I meant to say that earlier. I forgot, but I do appreciate that. I really respect that. That's great. And I thank you for what you did for us and the sacrifice that you made. Um, now, are there times when, you know, a bigger group can do better? Well, That's in a sense, that's a lot of the reason why we do denominations, period. Like the Assemblies of God, they came together. Um, technically, on paper, there are loose fellowship. In actuality, they're not as much. But anyway, the purpose of them coming together was for missions. That's why you have missions organizations, because one person can't do what two or three people could do. So um, in the sense of like um, a community outreach. So let's say that a group of churches or a church wanted to do uh, backpacks for kids who needed help. Um, It would be better if you could pull the resources. Yes in that sense, yes, that would be a better thing. Um, a soup kitchen. I think I'd mentioned that earlier, just, you know, helping again, underprivileged people. Yes, that is a great thing. You pull the resources, um, in those aspects, I think there is great, great reason to get together and to work together. And I think that in those scenarios, it's pretty easy to do that. Um, I think a a great illustration of this would be like um, Operation Christmas Child. I think it's an amazing thing that they do. And it's as effective as it is because so many people work together. Um, I'm trying to remember if I'm remembering correct, they were saying they were going to pass their, 200 million or 2 million I'm, I'm probably gonna get those numbers wrong i've listened to some stuff on the number of boxes ever were going to pass this year and it was amazing it's phenomenal the work that they do um another one that does some good work i don't know their doctrinal stance at all but um the angel tree where they do christmas gifts for kids whose parents are in prison now, my uncle one of my uncle's a few of my uncles have had drug problems, but one in particular has been in prison a few times. He's passed on now, but um, I know that he, his kids were a recipient of that. And that's as effective as it was because so many people came together and worked. So I think that the benefit of pulling resources in certain scenarios Is so very effective just because you can have a broader reach in what you're doing. Um, So, yes, I would say that there are times when it is awesome and it is, um, and it gives added effectiveness because we come together in specific scenarios. Again, I mean, I would have to say in specific scenarios, also, Uh, Like what he was talking about, what Nathan was talking about with the um, being in the army and doing the Bible study and stuff. I think that's awesome. Uh, There's another podcast. not going to mention names of podcasts. But anyway, there was another one that I like to listen to that I would disagree with the people on. And that's fine. Uh, But one thing they do is they will bring people of different Christian backgrounds on as long as they will have a basic uh, form of orthodoxy that they want people to adhere to but they will give different perspectives. And I enjoy hearing it. I like different perspectives. I enjoy hearing them. I don't listen to them so much to change my mind as much as to hear it and then compare it to scripture. Again, I think we'd all agree that it really doesn't matter what people say or think. What matters is what the Bible says. And biblically, we should have church unity um, to a great an extent as it's possible, and there are some, like I said, some scenarios where, especially with outreach to physical needs, to where we can have amazing fellowship, even if we don't agree doctrinally, and even if some, even if people who aren't saved, that we can have great working together relationships, and say, hey, there's a need. We both care about these people that have a need. Let's work together, and by pulling our resources jointly working together, we have a greater impact.
1: Nathan, do you have a response to that?
0: Yeah, again, I, I think I agree with all of that. Um, I just, I, you know, you mentioned that it's pretty easy to work together in those contexts. Um, and I, I agree, and it's especially I think what you mean by that is it's relatively easy relative to, you know, having a big joint camp meeting together or something like that, right? But despite the fact, I do agree with you, it should be very easy to work with people in those contexts. The independent Pentecostal holiness churches that I grew up in didn't work with anybody in any of those contexts that you mentioned. Now that's not your responsibility, and, and maybe your churches aren't that way. I'm not saying they are, but there are a lot of churches that there are that way. Um and, you know, Berean Holiness reaches a whole lot of different sub-movements The one Natalie and I grew up in. is just one of many, many that they reach out to. And a lot of the churches, most, like I said, are not of your tradition, Luke. Um, they're not working with anyone, even though it should be relatively easy for them to do that. They're not. Uh, I also appreciate what you said about the fact that denominations were largely formed so that you could have missions and that sort of thing. So, yeah, there are certain tasks that are easier accomplished when you get people who agree on doctrine together and they can work uh, broadly. But I think particularly when you're working at the community level, you usually don't have enough people of the exact same denominational persuasion in the community to get the job done. You really have to work together more broadly. And even speaking from my limited experience of living in Haiti for a couple of years, you know the AOG or whoever might've sent a mission missionary from the US but that missionary was gonna end up in a town in Haiti 10 doors down from another missionary that was from some other denomination. So even though their denominations may have done good work to send them there, there was still great cause for them once they got on the ground in country to be working together with other people. Sometimes they would, sometimes they would not. And then you would see, you know, this cry and shame of people who should be doing work together and they're trying to reinvent wheels side by side. Somebody else from another background who's reinventing the same wheel.
1: Yeah, thanks, Nathan. So before we move on to a a few more questions, um, I'm just going to throw something out there. I know I'm a little bit more in a moderator role, but I can't help but at least comment and and think aloud here. Uh, What I run into um, as one of the admin at Berean Holiness, I get to talk to so many people from so many different backgrounds. And one thing that is run into, so I think, Think Luke, I think what I'm hearing is that you would still um, be in favor of ministry when it's physical needs like the school lunches or pregnancy resource. I think that's what I'm hearing, but I know at least from the people that I've been talking to, their churches wouldn't even participate in, say, a pregnancy resource center and um, because the director is a woman and she wears pants and they see pants as an abomination. So for them, that's, that's a deal breaker. And I think I, I can't completely speak for the churches I grew up in, but I did spend, you know, a, a couple of decades. Um, and part of that was in ministry. And I know I definitely ran into that where even for physical needs, there were these very sharp boundaries. And so I, I, Honestly, I don't even know where those what their answer would be, but it seems well, like.
2: And maybe
0: maybe we should just ask you, Luke. What would you say to those people?
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> but in the sense of what would I say to people who say I can't work with them because I disagree with them doctrinally, like on physical issues, like what we talked about, like a president, right? Pre- so what, what, would, so yeah, what
0: exactly what would you yeah. say to a church that says we can't work with a PRC because the director is a woman who wears pants?
2: Okay. Um, Now, my wife, and I'm going to kind of go at this from just from the back just a little bit. My wife grew up at uh, the Highway of Holiness uh, They're in, oh goodness, in Ohio, right outside of Dayton and Cincinnati, right between there. And I do know that right now there are people there who work at a pregnancy resource center. That church helps out a whole bunch. If someone said, I can't work with physical needs, and again, I'm talking about physical needs, I can't. You know, stand outside of a pregnancy center with someone who um, you use the illustration of pants. I disagree with a woman wearing pants. It's not the discussion right now. I understand that, but you brought, you use that. So I'm going to use that. Which is why we on. use that. Yeah, that. just yeah. using the illustration. Um, I can stand outside of a pregnancy center with someone who, as I said, with a Catholic person, I have great mm-hmm. disagreement on doctrine with Catholics, but I can stand by a Catholic man and say, abortion is wrong. I can do that. I'm not making a doctrinal statement. I'm just saying, don't do this. And I can feed a hungry person with, uh, with someone who disagrees with me doctrinally. I could feed a hungry person with anyone to say that I can't work with someone, especially in a physical sense, because they disagree with me doctrinally, I would say I need to look at why I'm not helping. Now, if we're talking about ministry in the sense of spreading the gospel, preaching, doing things like that, my answer is going to change a little bit. But in the sense of giving someone a drink of water that they, they're they thirsty and I'm going to give them a drink, I'm not going to ask them, are you Pentecostal? I'm not going to mm-hmm. say, are you holiness? I'm going to say, let's give this person some water. Um, we can have our differences, but. When someone needs help, we should try and help them and we should use our resources together.
1: Well, and I think this does get fuzzy because, and um, well, Nathan would know, You, you work with True Charity with how do we help people. We don't, as Christians, we don't only want to meet physical needs. We want to help people in a holistic way. We want to help them relationally. We want to get them into faith community. We want to share the gospel with them. So these physical need ministries often overlap. With. Well, hopefully mm-hmm. they
0: will. <laughs> yes. Because the virgins. prodigal son, the prodigal son would have taken a box of food, but he didn't yes. just need a box of food. <laughs> right.
1: Right. So, well, I think, I think you'll have opportunity to talk, speak more or less to that as much as you, you both want to in these, um the next few questions. So I will go ahead and move on. Uh, question three, what does excellent church unity look like? for you in a context where there are doctrinal differences among the churches involved? And Luke, that is yours to answer first. What does excellent church unity look like when there are doctrinal differences?
2: I think that when you start getting to doctrinal differences, I think at that point, as you said, things can, I don't know if you'd say fuzzy. Yes, fuzzy. It gets a little more into the thick of things. Um, I think that, and again, I'm going to attack, not attack. That's not the word I meant. I'm going to come at this. I apologize. That that wasn't. That was a bad choice of words right there. I'm going to come at this from a physical needs perspective again. And the illustrations that I gave were um, illustrations like um, Operation Christmas Child, um, mm-hmm. the uh, Angel Tree. Now, from a very uh, more narrow sense, our church is out. I think I talked about earlier, I don't know if it was when we were recording or not, but our church has had a Christian school for 37 years. Uh, People go to the school that are of nearly any denomination you could imagine. We've had Catholics who attended the school. We have had a lot of Baptists that attended the school. We had a Baptist church down the road, literally maybe like two miles, maybe not two miles, maybe a mile down the road that supported the school on a monthly basis. Because they saw the need of Christian education. Now, they did not, they were not wholesale endorsing our doctrine because there were doctrinal differences. But in the sense of saying, you know, there is a need for Christian education, we can work together on this, um, in that there was unity because there was. There was the understanding, and there's probably an, another bad choice of words, but there was an understanding of a common, not foe, that's not the word I want to use, but there was a desire to have something better for their kid. That's probably a better way of saying that. They wanted better for their kids than what they were being taught at the public schools. They're not falling off on all public schools. But anyway, I'm pretty hardcore on Christian education. I think that's a very necessary thing. Sadly, not with both homeschools. I homeschool my, we, me and my wife, my wife does the bulk of it. Um, the homeschool is our seven year old as we travel, It'd be kind really of impossible any other way. But, um, in that there was great unity, but there was, there was still, um, not the wholesale approval of the doctrine. Mm-hmm. Like I said, there was Catholic people that have come to the school here. There's one that's Pentecostal. I would have Great differences of opinion. we not even opinion of doctrine with them. Um, Baptist folks, I'm trying to think, nearly any type of the churches around here have sent their kids to the school at some point. Um, and I think there's great unity in that because what they're being taught, it's not so much theology as it is your basic subjects. But now when you get into dealing, like we said, with doctrine and theology, and you're doing ministry in the sense of outreach and spreading the gospel things things start shifting at that point Mm -hmm.
1: yeah thanks uh nathan
2: yeah
0: i i think uh, it's just a matter of common interests a common purpose and we're should there should be a lot of common purpose luke gave a good example of christian education and i would hope that could go in the other direction as well that um you know if there's a Baptist church that has a good Christian school, then holiness people might feel comfortable sending their kids there and they might, you know, the church might support, the holiness church might support that school, right? That would be the hope. Um, I do think there is value though, in just getting together and discussing at some level or in some form, uh, either doctrinal differences or just what we have in common in Christ. So there are ministerial alliances in most uh, communities in this country, I through my work, I kind of participate in the one in Joplin, um, and you just have pastors that are getting together. They're praying for each other. They're supporting each other, right? So they're not they're not talking about doctrine. People are sharing testimonies and stuff, and there might be a belief that comes up that not everybody in the room agrees with, and and that's okay. Maybe somebody has an interesting conversation later on, or maybe they don't. But there are there are a number of of common interests. Um, besides just meeting needs, I think there is also just a value in telling other people that you support them, that you support the fact that they are doing ministry. You don't even have to say that I don't agree with you on everything, because they already know that, because they don't agree with you on everything either. <laughs> just find something worth appreciating about what they're doing if they are, in fact, Christians. Um, and that is, that is valuable. I know you're going to ask for some real-world examples as well, so I'll... I'll share a little
1: more there. Okay. Uh, Luke, did you have any, any response to that before we move on?
2: I did. I agree with Nathan, what he said there, just real briefly. I'll say I did agree with him. I think there is a lot of benefit in getting together. Um, I have done one more formal debate uh, with an individual who me and him would disagree on things. Um, I have talked to quite a few people that, you know, Baptist and not even just Baptist, like Reformed and different things. And I think it is really good when we can get together and do that. Um, again, I think that the that the dang, I mean, I don't get that because that's one of the questions you might ask later. I think it's good, but I think we should have a firm footing on where we are and what we believe and why we believe it before we get into said scenario. Um, and I know one of the, anyway, I don't want to get ahead. So I do agree that it's good. Iron sharpens iron. And i like to hear another perspective because I don't know everything and I'm going to readily admit that, mm-hmm. but on the things that I firmly believe the Bible says, I'm going to hold a little strong to them, but I don't mind hearing someone else's perspective. Mm-hmm. I think it's good too.
1: Yeah. Thank you. So question four, and I'm just, I'm just going to throw out there. I'm hearing a lot about physical needs and we can unite on physical needs we can work together when it comes to physical needs i so when i'm when i'm hearing that what i'm thinking and you've already said this um luke so i I think we agree but i can work when it comes to physical needs with someone who's completely lost who's an unbeliever who's an atheist if there's someone starving and the atheist says hey this person's starving to death can you help me get a meal to them uh, yeah, totally. I can work with you. So I'm really interested, but but Jesus didn't tell us to be one with everyone. He said for us to be one with believers. So what's the difference going to be with me um uniting and working together and being one with a assembly of God or a Baptist person versus being one with an atheist because if hopefully you hear what i'm saying like it it, if it's if we're just giving the same example then i don't see how i'm one with these other other believers but i will ask the question and you're welcome to let my comment influence your answers if if you'd like to speak to that so question four can you provide real world examples of working together collaboration being done well real world examples nathan you are first
0: well, you've just poisoned the well against me sharing a physical need example, but that's what I was gonna share. But I do think there is, there is a level of uh, magnitude, right? So it's, it's one thing to say, we're gonna have a community-wide cleanup day, we're all gonna pick up trash together. Um, that's a very minimal bar for collaboration. Now, an example of collaboration, The the organization that I work for grew out of a gospel rescue mission. So that gospel rescue mission here in Joplin, Missouri, it has as its mission statement to serve the church in its mission to help the poor. So this gospel rescue mission, Water Gardens, really thinks of itself as a conduit for the the church community uh, of Joplin to serve the poor. It's not just we're staff people, we serve the poor, you give us money. It's no, we're we're heavily reliant on volunteers by design. If we could pay enough staff that we didn't need volunteers, we would just use the staff to get more volunteers because that's the mission. And what does that look like practically? Well, that looks like people from a lot of different denominational backgrounds. Actually, there are quite a few Pentecostals um, that uh, I wouldn't say they're like holiness Pentecostals, but there are quite a few Pentecostals, quite a few non-Pentecostals. Um, that work together. So you probably have uh, on a given morning, there's a devotional. there are probably 40 staff and volunteers gathered together. They are um, there's somebody sharing kind of a little a little message, a little encouragement from God's word, maybe a little personal story. We're praying together. People are supporting each other, encouraging each other, then they're getting about their day and doing work together. Some paid staff, some volunteers. That is uh, an example of unity and oneness. And no, we don't have that same level of unity with somebody who doesn't share our Christian faith, because we are praying that God brings people, you know, brings sheep into his fold. Right. And we're working together uh, and supporting each other in a very personal way. Um, When I was down in Haiti, uh, the, the ministry that I worked with was kind of a Haitian network of churches and schools. They'd have pastors conferences. The Haitian pastors would come together, an American pastor would come down and teach something to them. The American pastors were from a fair range of denominations themselves, everything from, you know, more Pentecostal to Methodist to certainly Baptist, Calvary Chapel, a lot of different folks would come down and teach something. And sometimes our our kind of Haitian American director, Pastor Eve, would, um, you know, he would kind of, he'd kind of say to the guys, well, I don't necessarily agree with everything that that the American just shared. but." That's fine. You're, you're adults and you can listen to different perspectives. So there was unity on the Haitian side, different Haitian churches coming together. And there was unity on the American side, making the pastors' conferences happen and, of course, supporting the ministry itself. And if all of the churches that supported our ministry wanted to just run their own thing, um, they could have. It just wouldn't have been very good. Right. So if everybody has to splinter off into the smallest group in which everybody agrees with each other, you can't get very much done. So. Yeah, I think that, again, those are sort of physical examples, but I think the level of unity is is of a different magnitude than just getting together for a one-off event uh, that you could do with anyone.
1: Yeah, thanks for that, Luke. And again, I agree. this is real-world examples of unity done well.
2: Right. Um, it, you, you said if we wanted to, we let your comment influence our uh, answer just a little bit. So... As a presuppositionist, I'm just going to throw in and say, I don't think atheists exist. Anyway, um, I apologize. That was, pro- <laughs> that was off topic. I know that was off topic. I'm sorry. Uh, just the presuppositionist came out at me right there. Um, real world, real, real world. Eventually, I'll be able to talk real world examples. Um, I am sticking with the physical examples because I feel like that is where we can have the most unity. I think we can unify the most on those um, topics. Um, is that a weakness? No, not really. And I, I would say we can have more unity with uh, people who would claim Christianity than I could with people who don't claim Christianity, even in physical issues, because I would say that uh, we have a common reason for what we're doing. Um an atheist may say, well, I want to feed people just because I don't want them to be hungry. Whereas a Christian can say, I want to help feed people and those who would claim to be Christian because I care about them. They're made in the image of God. They they deserve dignity. They deserve respect. Um, I shouldn't look down on them. And so our very reason for doing what we're doing is different. The atheist just says, hey, I don't like what they're suffering. The Christian and those who would claim to be Christian say, they're made in the image of God. We are both image bearers of God. So our starting point is different. I would hope, I would hope that our um, level of say enthusiasm or maybe our level of drive would be greater as a Christian because, and those who would claim to be Christian, because we are saying we're doing this because we are both image bearers. We're doing this because our Lord tells us to help these people. We are doing this, we care because our God made us, made them, we are equals, even though they're not saved, we are both image bearers of God, and that is what drives me to reach out to them. Now, yes, there's basic humanity, but again, I would say that basic humanity is basic morality, which comes from God, presuppositions again, right there, um, but so, yeah, so I would say, yes, I can have unity with uh, someone who's saying they're an atheist or really not, but they're saying that, but it's not going to be as deep and as, uh, as meaningful in the same sense on the college campus. Let me just throw this in as maybe a sense of you working together. I have had not as often as I would like, but I've had a few times where students have got up and said, Hey, you know what? This man is right. And they'll get up and start preaching with me. Now I don't stop them beforehand and say, Hey, now, before you start talking, um, you need to answer these questions. I don't do that. It's a spontaneous thing. They just say, Hey, I'm going to do this for a moment. And they'll get up and start you know, talking. And generally it's just the gospel. So there's, for the most part, for the most part Christians and people who claim to be Christian are going to agree on the gospel. There are some splinter groups out there that aren't. Um, so in those moments there is unity. Now, if we got further into the conversation, me and the guy who just decided to step up and start preaching we might start disagreeing on some things. And then it would become confusion if while I'm preaching or while he's preaching, I'm sitting there saying, hey, no, that's not right, because I think that's dangerous. So, you know, what he, well, I'm, not, I'm not saying that working together is dangerous. I'm saying I would have to disagree because, hey, I, what he's saying, I think is wrong. So that's why I'm sticking with those uh, more physical aspects because those are things that a person is hungry and whether they are a Buddhist or they are a animist, I, as a Christian, they're see, view them as being created in the image of God and doctrine really don't matter at that point with who's going to come beside me and say, Hey, you've given them meat. I can give them a blanket. I don't need a doctrinal statement for that. That's just because we view them as the image of God. So, I am sticking to that. Uh, I, I do think the most unity can be had from, and you know, in a more physical area. If I got that out, right.
1: Yeah. Thanks for that. And actually thanks for sharing the example of someone coming alongside you and uh, preaching with you or speaking with the crowd and sharing the gospel. I, I think that's a great example of unity. And actually in my, um, <laughs> in my article, on christian unity that's on the brain holiness website one of my examples was when i went to europe was in amsterdam uh went through the red light district um it was broad daylight but we were just walking around Amsterdam. It's hard to avoid it. But anyways, (laughs) um, right outside, though, there was a group of preachers sharing the gospel. There was a huge wooden cross. You couldn't miss it. There were people that were holding up signs, like uh, pictures of the gospel story. Um, There were people walking among the crowd, and especially uh, the, the vulnerable and the abused Uh, women that were in that area and just one-on-one sharing the gospel with them. It was beautiful. They're just, just amazing. Of course, street preaching. Um, And when I, when I talked to them, they were a group of Pentecostals and Baptists working together. And what's so funny is I was actually, they're, they're, they're very much, very much like us. Um, They're not perfect just because it was in Europe and man, I love Europe. But anyways, Um, I was talking to him like, wow, this, this is beautiful. Like Pentecostals and Baptists side by side, sharing the gospel and winning people to Christ and just impacting in real ways. And um, I said, in America, you know, I I just rarely see this. And uh, one of the guys piped up and he goes, well, just so you know, we would never go to each other's churches. (laughs) (laughs) We would not step foot in the door is what he told me. Um, (laughs) But, but um, they did, They were out there sharing the gospel together, and I thought that was amazing. Um, So, yes, thank you for that. And Nathan, did you have any response to Luke before we go to the next question?
0: Yeah, I just want to say one quick thing about the idea of not wanting to cause confusion by having two different opinions be shared from the same platform. Uh, And I do respect that in the context of what you said, somebody saying something dangerous. And, of course, it was somebody you had not vetted, so maybe that person says something that really fundamentally alters the gospel. So yeah, I get that. Um, But I think there's another way on the lesser issues that are not just a modification of the essentials of the faith um, to avoid confusion. And it's just to acknowledge that there are other reasonable positions. Um, Like, I am not a Calvinist. I believe in free will. But there are some verses in the Bible that If they were the only verses we had, I would be a Calvinist, right? There are some verses in the Bible which support that position. I think there are ways to understand them, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm not going to say you'd have to be crazy to read that verse and think that people don't make choices, but God makes choices, right? And so if I'm teaching about free will, I say, look, this is my view. Not everybody agrees. There are some other people who think this. I may, depending on the context whether it's, you know, Sunday school or whatever, I may or may not go into depth on what they believe, but I'm going to acknowledge that there are other people that have legitimate disagreements. And in general, when we look at the Bible, it's a really big book. A lot of things are very clear. Some things are less clear, like the one issue I just mentioned, right? And the things that are less clear are not less clear because God couldn't figure out how to make them more clear. (laughs) They're not less clear because he hit his page limit And he's like ah i i just can't add anything to clear this up for you right so ultimately god had to know obviously that some of these things were less clear what did he then expect us to do to get to break into the smallest subgroup where we could agree on everything i think not based on what jesus said now yeah we may we may find common cause with some people and spend more time with them than others but i think what we need to do is practice the things that are clear in the context of things that are less clear the things that are clear the gospel loving each other unity etc cetera, etc cetera. so that's the stuff we need to focus on and we can have our doctrinal conversations on the side
1: yeah thanks for that so um i've scrolled too far down okay so moving on to a question at number five what are your deal breakers when it comes to collaboration with other denominations? And just to make this a little more interesting, because I, I, sorry y'all, but I don't want to stay on, on physical needs only. Um, I'm going to say that for this question, when I'm asking for your deal breakers for working with other denominations, I'm thinking more of the context of you're both out there sharing the gospel Or even, you know, it's a pregnancy resource center. I've volunteered at them. My husband worked at them. Um, They share the gospel. And with, you know, counseling women, there is an element of gospel ministry there. So I'm looking for what are your deal breakers when it comes to collaboration with other denominations, when it's not only physical things, but even to the point of at least gospel centric ministry, what would your deal breakers be? Um And Luke, that is your question first.
2: Okay. Uh, I think that's a really good question. And I think it's a necessary question. Um, I think that biblically we are commanded, like you said, and as we started out, we are commanded to show Christian unity. We are commanded to do that. Now, what exactly that means, um, I, would, I mean, that is a question I would love to understand exactly what you mean by pursue Christian unity. And I'm not asking it right there. I'm just saying that that would be kind of... A necessary thing. Biblically, though, we are given the command to show Christian unity. I agree. But the Bible also gives us specific reasons why not um, to work together or not to even be associated with. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 16, verse 17 Now beseech ye, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. Paul said in first Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, but now I have written unto you that you keep not company of any man that is called a brother, uh, be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such and one know not to eat. Um, In second Thessalonians chapter three and verse six, he says, if a brethren uh, if a brother walks disorderly, that you're to withdraw yourself from them. I'm just going to briefly touch on a few of these. Uh, He talks about in I'm trying to remember the other one where he says we've seen first John. I'm trying to rush through these. Yeah. in first John, the Bible says, whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, hath not God. He that abideth, he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the father and the son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For he that bideth him God'speed speed is partaker of it excuse me, of his evil deeds. Um, The Bible talks about being unequally yoked. It talks about to come out from among them and be separate from those who would do such things. The Bible tells us uh, that we're not to love the world. So what I'm getting at, I guess, is when it comes to like actual gospel ministry, as I said on the college campus, I've had people come up and they have, um, you know, came up and just spontaneously, you know, not planned, came up and started preaching with me. If I were to sit down and say, "Okay, I'm going to get a group together to do this, um, the Bible gives me clear command that, yes, we should have unity. But the Bible also gives me clear command as to who I'm not supposed to unify with. The Bible says that if there is um, false doctrine in the sense of the person of Christ, I can't really do ministry and unity and uh, non-physical needs because I can do that with anybody. But when it comes to actual spreading the gospel and uh, ministering in that sense, I can't be unified, um, which is why I would start to say way earlier on. I stopped myself when it gets to doing actual gospel ministry. It comes down to salvation by grace through faith. That is specifically the Bible tells us that is the criteria of salvation. The Bible tells us in uh, checking my time, make sure I wasn't going too long. Um, the Bible tells us in first Corinthians one of the best outlays of the gospel ever, most concise, First Corinthians chapter 15 1 through four where Paul said, moreover brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand by which ye also by which also you are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I received how Christ died for our sins according to the scripture and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day, according to scripture. So if someone has faith in Jesus Christ as God, as the propitiation for our sins, a sacrifice for our sins. And that is the only means of salvation. That's the first step. And I can have unity in ministry with them, but the Bible goes further and says that we are to live like Christ. The Bible says in first Peter chapter number two, um, I'm going to have to hurry. In 1 Peter chapter 2, the Bible says that we are called to live as Christ lived. Leave me examples you should follow in his steps. Who did know sin. In 1 John, the Bible says, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Therefore, in order for me to have ministry unity that I'm planning to happen, I've got to know their stance on salvation. And I need to know their stance on after salvation. There has to be that doctrinal purity, and there needs to be um, that I'm walking, that I have to walk as Christ walked, and I'm trying to cut that as quick as I can, so I hope I didn't go over.
1: Yeah, you're good. Um, Nathan, it's it's yours now. What are the deal breakers when it comes to collaboration with other denominations, and again, this is, I'm thinking more of a gospel-centric context.
0: Well, and I appreciate, Luke, you laying out some of those scriptures. What I hear in those scriptures largely is not to do joint ministry with people who aren't Christians. Like you know, don't don't have fellowship with one who is an idolater or an extortioner. Great, come out from among the unclean. You know, don't be unequally yoked. I think I believe in that passage. It says with an unbeliever. Right now, there are also some people who claim the name of Christ who have distorted the gospel. I get that. Um, they're included in that too. People who are distorting the doctrine of Christ. I think what we're getting at though is a question of magnitude and, and degree, right? So in my mind, is now when you just say when they have the essentials of the gospel, right? Um, and, but when you add on to that walking is Christ, well, we may have a different concept of what that is. Now, if we're just both talking about the fruits of the spirit, thumbs up, total agreement. If we're talking about long sleeves is, you know, how Christ would have worn his sleeves. And so if you don't have long sleeves, we can't do ministry with you. All right, maybe we're stretching things a little bit here. Um, for me, I would draw the line uh, for disciple making kind of activities, um, but agree with the general framework that Luke laid out. And I would say the very basic question I would ask myself before I would work with someone in a disciple making sort of activity is, would it be better for a new believer to attend this person's church or none at all? And if the answer is it would be better for them to attend that church than no church, then I'm happy to work with you to some degree in disciple-making activities. Now, I could not say that about a Christian science church. I'd rather you not go to church than go to a Christian science church, right? So I can't do disciple-making activities with folks that are Christian science. That's for, Christ- that's for um, disciple-making activities. And that might be what folks would have said when I grew up too. Um, but again, the question is a matter of degree. And so for me, when I look around my town, I can do disciple making activities with nine out of 10 churches. That's where that that line is for me. Maybe it's eight out of 10 if I really got to the weeds, but it's close to, to all. It's most right. Um, whereas how I grew up again we drew that line at like less than one half of 1% was who we could do disciple-making ministry with. And we didn't really do disciple-making ministry ourselves, (laughs) but that was just a a separate issue. Um, Now, is there any room for exclusion beyond that? I think there is for some projects, like I I may not choose to, uh, if I find a church's doctrine is acceptable, like I'd rather a new believer go there than not, but it's not commendable. I might choose not to launch a joint Christian school with them, or children's camp with them, or something like that. Um, and there is a place for churches of a single tradition to meet together and, and fellowship and that sort of thing. So, yeah, there, there's room for a little more exclusion beyond that. But for disciple-making activities, we should be able to work with almost all people um, in a conservative midwestern town, anyways, who call them who all churches who call themselves Christian because most of them are, in my estimation.
1: Luke, your response.
2: Just briefly, I would say um, the two criteria that the Bible gives us for not associating with would be doctrine. um, And uh, we picked that up at the very end. Um, Doctrine and living in open sin. If someone is openly sinning and is practicing sin, I can't work with them. I love how you put that, Nathan. That was a much better word than I used. I love when you made the statement, the disciple making. just in the Great Commission, going to make disciples of all people. That was, that was a great way that you worded that. I, I love that. Um, when it comes to making disciples, I cannot work with a person uh, who is practicing open sin, and I cannot work with someone who is doctrinally different on essentials. Now, I can work with I can work with a Calvinist who says that God predestines. I can work with that. Um, I disagree, but I don't think someone's gonna go to hell because they believed in predestination. <laughs> that's it's not. I agree that now there are some people who would say that you're serving a different God. I've argued with some of those people that call themselves holiness and said if you say you believe in predestination, you're going to hell. That that's I think that's silly. There, why we're making
0: this, Luke. <laughs>
2: I, I think I think that that's kind of silly, right there. Um, but now, someone who would say, "I believe in eternal security, and I can live any way I want to," I cannot work with that. Um, someone would say, and this may seem fringe, but it's really not. There are some pretty mainstream, so-called mainstream um, people who would say. That you know, I believe one saved always saved so much that if you try and avoid sin, your works based righteousness, I can't work with that because if I'm making a disciple, I'm trying to teach someone to live as Christ lived. And the number one, the first thing in the list that it says in First Peter is who did no sin. So if someone says you can sin all you want to, no, I can't work with that. Someone says what you do does not matter. I can't work with that. Someone who says um, outward, outward to to an extent, and again, I would, agree, I think we'd both agree, we can't speak for everyone's outward standards. I can't answer for everyone. I wouldn't expect you to answer for everyone. Um, but someone who says the outward does not matter at all, I couldn't work with that because I believe they're going against Scripture. Um, but that's going to come secondary to salvation by faith through grace. On that were 100% in agreement, um, but those are going to be the two deal breakers for me: that doctrinal stance, and then that af- what does Christian living look like after you're justified?
1: Thanks. So, moving on to our just just a few questions left now. Honest, this is a I think you call it a quantitative question. Um, on a scale of one to ten one being very poor, and ten being exceptionally ac- exceptionally excellent, how would you rate the performance of the churches in your circles, and your fellowship, at interdenominational unity, or working with Christians of other uh, denominations and with other secondary doctrines? So we're just going to, for the sake of this question, let's just say that those, those first, the, the gospel, the essentials are all correct. And these other Christians in this question are not saying you can live any way you you want. They're not saying you can live in open sin and, and that's fine. So on a scale of one to 10, one being poor, 10 excellent, how would you rate the performance of the churches in your circles at interdenominational unity? And Nathan, this goes to you first.
0: So to think about that scale, you know, you have from one end to the other, at the bottom, you have shunning opportunities to collaborate, and then maybe being open to collaboration and then actively seeking opportunities to collaborate. And then maybe in the best case scenario, championing opportunities to collaborate, getting other churches to collaborate, even that wouldn't have otherwise. Right. So that would be how I would sort of think about that scale. The churches I grew up in um, that were independent holiness in, in northeast Alabama, I would give them a two because they shunned opportunities to collaborate they didn't look for them they actively demeaned anyone who went to another church they sat around and talked about like luke mentioned you know maybe calvinists can't go to heaven um that was their attitude like that's about as bad as you can get <laughs> and the only reason i'd give them a 2 and not a 1 is because they weren't actively poisoning other existing collaboration in the community like <laughs> that's the only way they could have been worse than they were right Despite the fact that, like Luke said, it should be pretty easy to collaborate on at least some very basic things. It shouldn't be hard to get a three or a four on a contemporary scale. Now, the, when I think about the last three churches that I have specifically attended, my current church, the one I attended in Germany, and the one I attended in, uh, in Georgia when I was stationed there for a year, I would give all of them. And so two of them were non-denominational with kind of a baptist-y flavor and then one of them was a Calvary Chapel. So I would give all of them an eight because they actively coordinated with uh, church service with other parachurch ministries, right? So they were actively going out and looking for opportunities for the church to serve with others. And they were actively coordinating at least some interchurch unity events with uh, churches outside of their denominational camp. So like my church in Germany, I remember had um, uh, an event where we met with a predominantly black church and we just kind of had an event and talked about some things and it was small group discussion and some, some facilitated discussion. And I met people who claimed the name of Christ who voted for president Obama for shame. Right. But, but I, I got to hear different perspectives. It, it was, it was a good thing. Right. So that's an example of, of what I'm talking about. And I would, I would give all those churches an eight.
1: Yeah. So Luke.
2: Um two examples that I gave um, were one was our home church. Uh, they do the Christian school. Um, they've done other um, ministries. I think that, I mean, I'm not going to give them a 10. Uh, there's room for improvement, I'm sure. Uh, I'd probably put them at a six, uh, six or seven, just because there is outreach, there is a desire to help, a desire to work. They've worked with other churches in some physical areas. Um, and again, like another one that I mentioned is a church my wife grew up there at the Highway of Holiness there in Ohio. And as I said, I know for a fact that they do work with the local pregnancy uh, resource center. Um, I know they work with other denominations, people who they would disagree with, but they're coming together for a purpose, for a specific purpose. Now, I think on those, I can't speak to everyone like we've already both said, we can't do that. But in those areas, I think those two churches that I'm the most intimately know, you know, knowledge of the inner workings of them, I would say they do a good job. Um, is there room for improvement? Yes, I think there's room for improvement with most everyone. Um, so, but as far as working together, trying to reach out, I think both that independent, the Independent Holiness Church that I know the most of what they do. I'm the most familiar with. And the church, the two churches that I said I'm the most familiar with, I would say they both do a good job. I don't think that one being independent holiness makes it any more or less by the very definition of being independent. They're kind of hard to judge as a whole group. Um, but that one I know does good. Do I know of others that do? I really don't know because I've never really just sat down and asked them. So I can speak for those two, but for others, I can't speak.
1: Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, yeah, I, I, I am starting to see some holiness churches that have more, more outreach opportunities and just examples like you mentioned, and I'm really grateful for that. I think that that's an awesome, um, step to take. Uh, but then Nathan was, (laughs) he he rated some of the churches we grew up around a, a little low. I'll give a, I'll give just a smidge of context. Um, it was to the point where I know I was personally told that if someone from a Baptist church or non-denominational church said I'll go to your church one service if you come to my church one service I was specifically told don't you dare step foot in their church it is not worth your soul you could lose your soul like so that's 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 a little bit of context um, for for where we're coming from, what our personal experience has been. Uh, And Nathan, did you want to add any thoughts before we go to our closing questions?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, just to build off of that, it's also not an aberration. Our experience, and I'm glad that there are some churches that are doing better in the independent, you know, Trinitarian Holiness movement. That's great. Um, But not even just in that movement but there are a whole a whole slew of movements that brian holiness interacts with from oneness pentecostal to conservative non-pentecostal holiness which is kind of the original historical version of holiness to um independent you know, free,
1: fundamental baptist free
0: holiness independent fundamental baptists right so they're not all in the holiness sort of uh, family of churches mennonite and and all a lot of them have would be you know, a two or three. On a scale oh,
1: 100%. I've seen some ones, actually. <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen the ones that are trying to break up other churches.
0: Well, and I, and I don't find it any surprise that, Luke, you are the kind of person who's more collaborative because here you are having a conversation with us. So there's some sort of self-selection uh, and you're clearly a person who's, you know, more unified than, than some others. So,
1: yeah, we appreciate that. So, and moving on to our closing questions, what are the risks of interdenominational unity, fellowship and partnership? And how can we what can we is there anything we can do about those risks? Can we mitigate them? But but especially what what are those risks? We want to at least address that elephant in the room. And Luke, you are first.
2: Um when it comes to that, I think that um the danger comes in. Like I said earlier, I would go to things before I would take my young people to it. I don't want my young. I would not have wanted my young people to be confused. Why do Why, why do these people say that I can live any way I want to? But you're telling me that if I go and you know start doing whatever. Uh, that you, I'm going to lose my salvation. I mean, they're saying you can't lose your salvation. But I think the danger comes in with confusion. Now, I would say that a mature Christian, someone who, like in the book of Hebrews, I think it's chapter five, I don't know this in my notes, but just going off memory in chapter five, it talks about this mature Christian is one who, by reason of use, they, um, they know the difference in right and wrong. Paul uh, reprimands the believers in... Corinth. I'm trying to think. It's 1 Corinthians. I won't say it's chapter three. It deals with, I'm not mistaken, the chapters one, two, and three, but especially one and three. And he deals with those. He says, you know, there's divisions among you and you ought to know, but you're acting like a baby Christian right now. So I would say that someone who is a young convert, I would not, if they asked me, should I go to this other church? I wouldn't recommend that they do. And that's not because I'm throwing off on the other church. I'm just saying, you know, you need to get rooted and grounded in what you believe first before you're exposed to every other, um, you know, thought out there. Um, I'd said earlier, you know, like with Calvinists, I have I have learned a ton from some Calvinist people that I would disagree with vehemently. But as I said, I, I love presuppositional apologetics. That is the stream of apologetics I, I study and I use on a daily basis. Um, some of the best of those, we've be been like um, Greg Bonson. He was not a Pentecostal holiness man. Um, Jeff Durbin is another that is, when it comes to apologetics, that man is phenomenal with his, um, presuppositional apologetics. Would he disagree with me? Yes. Would I disagree with him on doctrine? Yes. But does his, does he do great work against abortion within abortion now? Yes. He does phenomenal work. Uh, men like Saiten Brugante, who we would disagree so very much, but I can learn from them. Um, I don't go to learn, their doctrinal stance as much as i do to learn their apologetic method um so and, and that's and that you've people have probably picked up if they hear what i'm saying that i am putting this on kind of a sliding scale of ways you can work with people and ways you can learn some of my favorite authors old wesleyan old methodist most of the books i said i like to read earlier most of my books um of the tons of books that I have. Most of them are 1800. They're right, written from the 1800 time period of uh, Wesleyan Methodist people, men like uh, Beverly Carradine, Martin Wells Map, um, people from the missionary, what is the Christian Missionary Alliance, uh, A.W. Tozer, men like this, that we would disagree on some points of doctrine, mm-hmm. but when it came to how you're saved, when it came to what your walk was after you were saved, there were some issues we would disagree with, but on those things, things that were salvific, mm-hmm. things that affected your salvation, we would agree on. I, as a Pentecostal, I believe in a second, really, as a West, I would call myself a Westman Pentecostal. I would say there's a second and third work of grace, but anyway. Um, I don't think only people who would be Pentecostal are going to heaven. I don't think you have to speak in tongues to go to heaven. That's, God's not going to stand at the gate and say, hang on now. Let me look over your life. We're judged according to our deeds, but he's not going to say, did you ever speak in tongues? No, that now should we? Paul said he wanted everyone to, but again, that's not the topic. Um, so I can learn from people like that. But the danger comes in with someone who's not rooted and is not grounded being led astray the bible talks about being led astray by every wind of doctrine um Mm. and the danger comes in when someone is not rooted they are not grounded they're not ready to be exposed Mm. to some things that could shake their faith um Mm. on core issues i have no problem with someone who has a different view of the end times as me that's fine. That's not salvific. Someone who believes uh, predestination, that's not salvific. But someone who believes that you can sin or that certain things aren't sin, there's danger there because someone could be led astray. And my timer just went off, so yeah. I'll stop.
1: Nathan, what are the sure. risks of interdenominational unity? of have some fellowship, partnership. How can we mitigate those, but especially what are they?
0: Well, I think we have to differentiate between the real risks and the imagined risks. You know, the imagined risks are the, like the one you mentioned earlier. Uh, if you step foot in the doors of a church that doesn't agree with us, you might lose your soul. Okay, that's not a real risk. <laughs> so we don't, we don't have to worry about that. And, and I think back to something I said earlier about how when you get to know people who don't agree with you on everything, you will often find that their views are more moderate than you were led to believe they were. So I grew up hearing a lot about people who believed, um, you know, once saved, always saved, saved, so you can live any way you want. I'm not saying those people don't exist, but I'm saying I've interacted with a lot of people who believe in the doctrine of unconditional eternal security. I actually don't agree with that doctrine, but yet most people that I have found who believe that doctrine, they functionally have a workaround where they say, yeah, people can go off the rails, and then they were never really saved. So a lot of the like sincere, mature Christians, they're still going to say, oh, you can't live any way you want, because if you do, we're going to say that you had never been saved in the first place. Which means, functionally, there's not as big of a difference between their position and maybe Luke's position as it would have seemed from the outset. So I think that's where the imagined risks get bigger and bigger. I have a distinct memory of As a kid, uh, I had a friend who was uh, a Calvinist, and he was witnessing to someone. It was actually in my Boy Scout group, right? And he was witnessing to someone. And I said, well, why are you doing that? Because we had talked about Calvinism. And I said, well, you know, technically, there's no reason why you should. Calvinist doctrine. And he's like, yeah, but I do it because Jesus told us to. And I said, that's a pretty good reason. And you know what? He was witnessing to someone, and I was not, (laughs) even though (laughs) my theory supported it better so a lot of times once we really find what people actually believe, if they're mature Christians, the we don't have as much to fear from their doctrine as we thought we did when we first heard about their doctrine and thought through some of the implications of it. But OK, so there are some real risks. I think there are tensions that arise from different subcultures interacting. The more different that someone is from you, uh, the more likely you are to misunderstand them to hear something the wrong way. They're using words differently than you've used them. Maybe there are ethnic or racial tensions that arise when you're working with somebody who's really quite different from you. Um, That's a challenge. But it's also just a challenge from having a local church congregation, like hopefully our churches are getting together different kinds of people, Um, maybe race, but definitely people from different classes, people from maybe different backgrounds, parts of the country, maybe even different denominational backgrounds. So I think whenever you're getting together with people, there's going to be some risk that there's misunderstanding. Um, there's also problems that are going to arise from interacting with a sort of bad apple. Like maybe you, you have some multi-church partnership and one of the churches is actually just kind of a snake in the grass and is trying to steal everybody else's church members. Like that could happen, you know, uh, you expose yourself to a certain amount of risk that that happens just by interacting with people. But again, I think that's kind of a non-unique harm that, that is what it is to do ministry with humans. You're going to run into some people who, um, Will uh, not treat you right. You know, now that I think about it, Jesus had this pretty big ministry going on, and he had one guy in his 12 who, who double crossed him and backstabbed him. So I think if it can happen to Jesus, it can happen to any of us. It's a risk we have to deal with. But Jesus didn't use that as a reason not to work with other people who were lesser than him or didn't agree with him on everything, even though he was right on everything, <laughs> right? um He still worked with a lot of people who saw things differently. And uh, yeah so those are i think some of the real risks versus the imagined ones
1: yeah thanks for that and when i'm I'm thinking about unity you know if we're exactly alike if we are just mirror images of each other then there's no there's no reason like we don't even need to practice and learn unity because we're exactly alike like we're already uh one in that sense but the beautiful thing about unity is especially when there are differences unity in those differences is learning how to love each other even when it's tough and i think that's why jesus said hey the world's gonna look at you when you you are one and god's gonna get the glory and jesus said when you love each other um the world's going to know you're my disciples and it's you know, because it's tough, because it's difficult, because there is challenge in uniting in the differences and in learning to work together and, and love each other. Because human nature is just, as soon as we see someone's different, to just put them in another box and make them out to be the bad guy. So uh, with that comment, Luke, did you have anything to respond to Nathan's before we go to our closing remarks?
2: Just real quick, I would say... Um... I was rapidly doing my best to do some uh, to be able to back up what I'm fixing to save. give some, I kind of cite my source. I'm, anyway, I failed miserably at the moment right there. I couldn't find the book I was looking for on my tablet. Uh, but if I'm, if I'm quoting correctly and if I'm wrong, please someone tell me I'm wrong. But when it deals when to the, when it comes to the point of saying that um, like that it's just a side issue, and so you can live any way you want to, uh, again, if I'm quoting correctly from the book, A Man Sent from God Named John. It was a book about John R. Rice. Um, He made a statement in that book, and again, if I'm wrong, I would love to be corrected on this. Uh, It was required reading in ACE, and so I've read the book. had to read the book uh, from an accelerated Christian education school. We had to read it. He makes a statement in there that there will be men taken from the houses of ill repute at the rapture, and I know that can be a controversial doctrine in the rapture. There will be men taking houses of ill repute. There will be people that are in open sin that will go in the rapture because God knew that if time were to progress, they would have repented. And whether they repented or not, because they were saved, there was nothing wrong. I mean, it was nothing wrong, but that they're not judged for it. Um, that's not an uncommon belief. Uh, And that's, in my opinion, biblically, I would take great umbrage with that and say that is false. I would as well. Um, Yeah. hmm?
0: I said I would as well. I think no disagreement there. I'm just saying that not everybody holds to that extreme.
2: Not everyone does. I agree. But it is not, it's not a side issue. I can't tell you the number of young people that I've had look at me on a college campus and say, you know, I'm living in this sin, but my pastor said, I'm fine because I got saved when I was a kid. So what I'm doing doesn't matter. And they're living in very open sin. Um, I, I I think the danger comes in when, whenever, and I'm not saying you're saying this, please don't hear me say that. Um, but the danger comes in whenever I say, for the sake of unity, I'm first assuming that these people really are saved. I can't go into a situation assuming that, um, how do you, anyway, I know I'm only to have two minutes. So I'm trying to hurry. Um, I can't, that's a dangerous state. That's a dangerous assumption, especially for a new convert. I would agree going to someone else's church is not going to send me to hell. My actions are going to cause me to lose salvation. Not anyway. Um, that's a danger. Uh, and also not looking. And again, I'm not saying you're doing this, but to, to not see the high level that we are held to as Christians when it comes to doctrine and our life lived, both of those things can cause a huge danger. And I think some people have went too far and said, because of the danger, don't go to this other church don't even visit it. Um, I don't think they did that to be mean and rude. I think people do that because they are worried, legitimately worried for people's souls and they don't want them to be led, especially not a new convert. Um, I think, yeah, I would give those people grace because I think they're doing that out of love and not out of disunity. I think they're watching for someone's soul. Um, anyway, that, that, yeah.
1: Yeah. Thanks for that. So we're going to go ahead and start wrapping up. And um, my, the last question that I had written down and this again will be more, more of closing statements, but at the end of the day, Jesus, again, going back to those passages we started with, Jesus was praying that the believers would be one, not that the Baptist church would be unified with the Baptists and the assembly of God would be unified with the assembly of God, but that believers, period, stop, full stop, would be unified. Um, would be one that we would have a brotherly love that the world looks at and says those are those must be Jesus's disciples because if they they weren't if they're if they don't follow Jesus if they didn't then they wouldn't be like that that's the kind of love and unity believers are it seems to me at least from reading those passages that believers should have that remarkable unity that the world looks at and that God is glorified that uh, well, and maybe God's glorified because people in the world know it would take a miracle um, for us <laughs> to get along. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so at the end of the day, with that in mind, do the benefits outweigh the risks? And these can just be your your closing statements as we take this to a close. Um, and Luke, you're you're welcome to go first in, in sharing.
2: Okay. Do benefits outweigh the dangers or the risk? Um, In a physical sense, yes, they do, because I'm not having to put my stamp of approval on any doctrinal issue at that point. Do do they outweigh the risk? Um, Again, I'll speak to being a youth pastor. Do they outweigh the risk to where I would say, hey, you know what? I've heard that this. Um, other youth camp is great i've heard it's a lot of fun i hear some good things about it um i actually use one i can actually say i actually experienced uh some youth uh curriculum i won't mention the name because i probably shouldn't but anyway they would send video material to youth pastors and say hey what do you think about you know do you want to use this you can have a subscription we'll send you stuff monthly and the topics they dealt with were great but The people who presented the topics
1: were not so
2: great. Um, And I had to decide, is it better for my youth to hear these topics and hear what's said, but they're coming from a source that's not following God? Um, I had to decide no. Why? Because the Bible says as a youth. And again, I was not a pastor, but as a youth minister, as, as someone who was over other people, not in a lording over sense, the Bible says, we're not supposed to. But anyway, it's too many caveats i given given. I think you understand what I'm saying. Um, I would have to give an account for the, what I taught those young people. And to me, their souls were of too much importance for me to say, you know what? I'm going to overlook these things that I disagree with, not sideline issues like predestination or not sideline issues such as um, uh, eschatology and um, things like that. Not at all, not sideline issues like that, but with how we live as a Christian, especially um, a weak view on sin as a youth pastor, I couldn't tolerate to bring my young people to that. There was too much danger, um, a weak view on the Trinity, I wouldn't have brought my young people to that. There's too much danger. Um, could I have stood with them and given out bowls of soup? Yes. Could I have said abortion is wrong? Yes. But could I have stood with them and said, as they said, um, you know, Jesus is a uh, uh, humorous story. Jesus, uh, you know, like a oneness. Me and my pastor went to a oneness church once. We didn't know it was oneness. We were invited to go. Uh, they had came. These people had came to our church for an um, extra, you know, so, uh, to hear the OBI choir singing. So we they would came. So we were going to fellowship with them. They did a Saturday night service. They claimed to be Pentecostal, but we didn't know they were oneness. And so we get there, and they invite me and my pastor up on the platform. I didn't hear them invite me. My pastor did hear. He went up on the platform, and it became very evident. That these were very oneness people. And my pastor did his best not to look at me because he knew I was laughing because I was like, there he is up there on the platform. And I asked him later, I said, what were you thinking? He said, I told myself I'm going to be polite. And if they start specifically saying the Trinity is devilish doctrine, he said, I was going to get up and walk out. He said, they didn't ever do that. He said, so I didn't want to make a scene. So was he showing Christian unity there or just showing politeness? I don't know, but it it was a really humorous situation. But if we had known that we would not have went because of doctrinal differences, extreme doctrine. And again, there are side doctrines that we don't have to agree on. But when it comes to what is sin, when it comes to what saves you, when it comes to who is God then i think we really have to be careful.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for that. So, Nathan, if you don't mind, you can springboard off of sure. do the do do the benefits outweigh the risks and then go ahead and give your closing thoughts.
0: Yeah, one of the uh, funniest sad things i've ever read is a statement from a oneness uh, kind of council of churches in which they were proclaiming that they had decided together in this, this sort of synod that all oneness people could go to heaven, even though there were 40 different sub branches of oneness that didn't get along with each other. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you, Christian unity from oneness. But I, I think typically the more obsessed you are over the minor details and the more you isolate yourself from other groups, the harder it's going to be to get along with anyone even people within your own broader tradition. That's why there are 80 different subgroups of Amish and they fight over things like whether or not buttons can have colors, right? So it is imperative that we spend time hanging around people who don't agree with us on everything so that we don't go crazy. Because we have a known predilection to do that. I mean, especially if you look at a group like the Oneness, they're not that, that old. There are 40 different sub branches of them. And it was started, I don't know, what, 70, 80 years ago, maybe 100, I don't know, but not not 1,000 years ago, right? Um, and so we just keep splintering off of splinters, off of splinters. And it's good to bring, to have us mix back together. And, and I totally agree with Luke. There is some danger involved. There's a degree of, okay, we're not going to work with people in open sin, but there are also some gray areas. And I think we owe it to ourselves and to the fulfillment of Jesus's command to kind of push into those gray areas and ask tough questions, not go in with our eyes closed, like Luke said, but ask ourselves, not, is there a reason why we can't, but is there a way we can work with these people in some God honoring way? That's not going to be dangerous. And, And I think about, you know, I think Luke and I probably agree uh, on the particular doctrine of eternal security however um w- one of the people I know personally who would be the fiercest defender of that doctrine is an older uh, preacher and, and missionary who is one of the most selfless god-honoring giving of himself faithful men of God I have ever met and he's a hundred hundred miles away from the idea that you can just live any way you want because he believes this. That's not that's not how he takes that doctrine. So to say that I can't work with him because he, he has a belief wrong in my estimation uh, and even if a significant one and even one that somebody else could take and, and make very dangerous, but he doesn't. And I think that has to be taken into account. We're going to make mistakes no matter how we do ministry. So if we're going to make mistakes, let's make them trying our best to do the thing Jesus said over and over and over that he wanted to see us doing um, and we're going to fall on our faces sometimes, and that's okay. Um, and so, yes, absolutely. The benefits do outweigh the risks.
1: Yes. Well, thank you so much, both of you, for making the time to answer these questions and have this conversation. I think it's really important. And I'm just going to throw in, I know we've talked a lot about protecting youth from false doctrines. And I I totally agree with that because I've seen uh, young people go off and join churches that I think all of us would agree are actual cults, like really unhealthy, deny orthodox doctrine type of churches. And I'm just like, oh my um, and I really wish a youth pastor had stepped in and say, hey, I, I don't know if we should be fellowshipping this church, um, you know, at the, at the beginning of that. But I've also seen a, a lot of young people and me with my day job with Green Holiness, which I love. I get to talk to so many people who reach out and I can't tell you how many people have reached out and especially young people who it's actually a stumbling block to them when they see so much division, so many hard lines drawn, so much uh, church splitting um, over minor issues and just tiny things. Um, It can really be a hindrance and a stumbling block. And I've had, I've seen friends get to the point of despair that they can't figure everything out and they don't know all the answers. And there's people that they respect here that believe one way. And there's people they respect there that believe something different and they feel like they'll never know the answer. So they just give up. And I think that is a tragedy and I would love to see more Christians model an example of, Hey, it's the gospel that matters. It's the essentials. It's the first here, in on the secondary and tertiary. We can respect each other We can work together, at least to some extent, we can share the gospel together and we can meet physical needs together um, and glorify God and be the body of Christ and do so in love so that the world can see we are Jesus's disciples and the father is glorified. So thank you so much, both of you for being here again, Luke, uh, your podcast, where can they find you?
2: Uh, Wake the Bride podcast. You can also find us on Facebook with uh, the Beach College Campus Ministry I need to do a lot more work on that, um, actual site, but yeah, the wake the bride podcast.
1: Awesome. And Nathan, if anyone wants to check out the day job that you mentioned earlier, true charity, where would they find that?
0: True charity. US, And then of course you can see a lot of my writing on some of these topics at and holiness, uh, dot com or is it dot org? Dot com Dot com. There you go.
1: Yes so thank you so much and thank you to everyone who has listened to this conversation we hope it was a blessing we hope that you will send us your feedback we'd love to hear your thoughts thank you so much for joining us for this month's episode please consider following subscribing and leaving a five-star review the not ashamed podcast is brought to you by and holiness we'll see you next month with another episode but until then check out the and holiness website and social media for more content May God richly bless you on your journey of rebuilding faith and discovering the gospel of grace.